Hi, this is Brian Johnson, publisher of Mass Device, and you're here on Device Talks. I'm joined today by Michael Mangano, the uh, president of the Americas for Surtex Medical. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brian, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's talk about Surtex and the treatment, uh, the SIR product that you have currently on the market. Sure. So CERT is Selective Internal Radiation Therapy. Um, it is a product that is a radioactive microsphere. So it is a vial of roughly 30 to 60 million microspheres uh, that are shipped in a three, it's called a three GBQ vial. So it is a, a radioactive isotope called yttrium-90 that is bound to these spheres and it is drawn up and injected into the hepatic artery and flows to liver tumors and irradiates liver tumors essentially from the inside out. So 30 to 60 million microspheres. But how big are microspheres? The microspheres themselves are really about the third of the size of a human hair. So really it's almost like a granule of sand that you see. Mm -hmm. Um, So when they're drawn up, yes, it's a very, very small amount, and they're very, very tiny. And... uh, you manufacture those? Yes, we do. We okay. manufacture the product. Actually, we have three manufacturing facilities, one in Singapore, one in the United States, and one that we're developing in Germany right now. And the, and it's actually, you're regulated as a medical device, is that correct? Yes, we are. We're under PMA approval here in the United States, so it is a, a medical device. Uh, although it is an unusual space that it is an oncology product, and it is a radioactive isotope, it is actually filed here in the United States as a medical device. And you're the... American branch of an Australian company. Yes. Give me a quick 30-second primer in terms of where this technology comes from, uh, any sort of background you can give me on that. Sure. It's actually been around for a longer time than people think. Uh, A lawn development cycle, Dr. Bruce Gray was the founder of Surtex Medical, and he developed the product really through the 1980s and 1990s. Um, and did a major pivotal clinical study in Australia at the end of the 1990s uh, and applied for approval throughout the world uh, in the early 2000s. We received PMA approval actually 13 years ago here in the United States in 2002. So the product has been around a lot longer than people see, although it is perceived by a lot as being a fairly new technology. Right. So it's been essentially on the market for 13 years. Yes. Wow. In the United States. And you took over six years ago. Yes. Yes. Great. Um, so the, the treatment is indicated as a treatment of last resort for patients with colorectal cancer that's spread to the liver. Is that correct? Uh, the, the indication right now in the U.S., yes, is metastatic colorectal cancer that has spread to the liver. In other words, stage 4 metastatic colorectal cancer. Uh, currently, the adoption rate right now, you're right, is in what we consider the salvage setting or last resort for most patients, although the pivotal clinical trial was actually done in first-line patients, which is which is unusual. Let's talk about the health of the patients that you're currently dealing with. I mean, colorectal cancer is, I think I read it, and it's the second most deadly cancer, second, one of the most preventable cancers, one of the most prevalent cancers. Right. Um, so stage four patients, these are they must be incredibly sick at this point. Well, most of the patients we actually treat now are patients that are, are have decent status in terms of their health. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, they've stopped responding to other therapies. So when you say salvage setting, they've tried multiple chemotherapies and actually have stopped responding, mm-hmm. uh, but have predominant or most of their, their diseases in their liver. So yes, you're right. There are 130 to 140 new thousand, thousand patients diagnosed each year. Roughly half of those patients will actually develop liver tumors mm-hmm. in the stage 4 metastatic setting. 
Um, and over 50%, at least it's been stated, 50 to 90% of those patients will actually die from their liver tumors, not from their primary disease. Really? So the objective of our product is obviously to treat the liver itself and the tumors in the liver to stop those liver tumors from growing and or eradicate those tumors. And with that, the hope is that the patients will survive longer. So it's the liver tumors that... that it ends up being the liver tumors that, that eventually kill the patients who develop metastatic colorectal disease. I know it's not as understood out there by the common people that, that it's the, the spread of the tumors that actually end up right. uh, being the demise of the patient, unfortunately, not usually the initially diagnosed disease. Wow. So I would imagine that there's a lot of things in this space that are unknown to the general public or even your colleagues. Uh, you, you come from Boston Scientific. Uh, you, you made the jump over. What were you doing at Boston Scientific, and, and did it prepare you to uh, lead a, a cancer company or an sure. oncology company? Uh, it, it actually did not, which is, which is interesting. Um, being a device, um, it makes us in a very unusual space. So oncology is not a normal area for, for device companies, although it is emerging. Yeah. Um, now, at Boston Scientific, I had worked internationally for years. I had worked in cardiology and I had worked in GI, but really had no oncology experience. Mm -hmm. um, the unique thing about Cersphere is, is that the treatment is generally performed by an interventional radiologist. So it's performed as a patient setting. So a lot of us are very familiar with that, catheter technologies, um, and it is delivered via, via catheter in the hepatic artery. So that part of the business we absolutely understood. We understood working with interventional radiologists and really started to build the business through the interventional radiology community. What we didn't understand as much was the oncology community, which is something completely different. It's typically pharmaceuticals, mm -hmm. nor really did we understand radioactive isotopes. But those are things we, we started to teach ourselves. Um, and what's unique at Surtex is we've been able to build up a device side of the business, but also build up an oncology competency that we didn't have. We quickly realized that we didn't understand this, so we started hire, hiring people from the oncology pharmaceutical community to start teaching us oncology at the same time as we learned interventional radiology. Uh, what makes this, this such a challenge for this product is it is a product that's treated by an interventional radiology, but we play in a pharmaceutical space, which is really oncology, and then the fact that it's a radioactive isotope on top of all, it makes it a really interesting technology. Right. And I would imagine a very interesting sales process as well. Yes. So you're selling into the interventional radiology? We do. We sell into hospitals. We have over 400 treating centers right now in the United States, which has grown exponentially over the last few years. So it is becoming a more commonplace adopted technology within the interventional radiology suite. That being said, we have to come into the hospital through nuclear medicine because it is a radioactive product. The device is, the dose is drawn in nuclear medicine and brought up to the interventional radiology suite. But ultimately, these patients are referred to or come through the oncology community, whether it's radiation oncology, surgical oncology, or medical oncology. So typically, the multidisciplinary approach in the interventional radiology or this emerging field of interventional oncology becoming part of a multidisciplinary team is how these patients are being treated. I mean, we were talking earlier, and you said, you know, there's a lot of medical device guys don't understand the oncology market at all. Uh, there's new acronyms. New, and there's a lot of acronyms in medical device. But sure, I mean, sure. Uh, the, the sort of uptake on the vocabulary, uh, what else besides all these new words and technolo technologies that you have to start understanding make it a difficult transition? Or why is, you know, does it seem like 
the device community is scared or, or not, you know, not familiar with the oncology well, market. Well, I do think they're, they're looking at it closely, and I do think it is, it's, it's a fragmented part also. As we technologies have been developed by other companies, they, as you know, they're applied to new disease states and new areas. Mm-hmm. The evolution of the diagnostic part of our business and the imaging part of our business has allowed us to see and learn so much more about this area of oncology. Um, those new methods and those new ways have taken technologies and allowed them to be adopted. And now you have a, a space that is very complicated and, and tends to be dominated by the pharmaceutical companies. And device companies have now started to develop technologies. And there are a number of technologies. There are ablative technologies and different technologies within, within that ablation area, radiofrequency, microwave, cryoablation. We have new gland microspheres coming out. We have new microspheres that deliver drugs directly. So this, this concept, I think, of, of interventional oncology and treating solid tumors by physicians and adopting that into the current treatment paradigm for patients with chemotherapy and radiotherapy and surgery really is a, a new area that's emerging, and I do think that the other device companies are starting to look at this area and trying to understand it a little more, but you're right, it is a very complex area when you start to try and integrate into a pharmaceutical world with, right. with ever-evolving technology or ever-evolving chemotherapies that are coming out. I mean, would you, I mean, I guess I would imagine that the application would be to uh, as a delivery system for these types of treatments. Yeah, you can look at it as diagnostic part of it and therapeutic. So a lot of the the technologies that are developed by today's device companies really are imaging and diagnostic type technologies. The therapeutic part of it, I think, is the part that is emerging. The things that actually treat the tumors and treat the cancers. And how do they fit in, really, with today's technology and today's chemotherapy agents? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the interesting part um, that we'll see move forward and we'll see how these new technologies integrate into today's cancer world. What was the steepest learning curve for you in, in coming into this market, understanding this space that you're dealing with right now? Did you have a lot of knowledge about uh, colorectal cancer? No. No, what's, what's interesting, and, and we've built our company in multiple ways. We bring people that know in about technology. We bring people that know about radioactive isotopes. And then we bring people who know about chemotherapy, and we try and learn all of it. So we have specialists within our company, but a lot of us are what I consider generalists as well mm-hmm. uh, and know a lot about each area. But really, it's, it's learning every day. Yeah. To go to the conferences, to go to talk with physicians, we're all out there learning every day. Cancer is an extremely complex space. It has evolved. The chemotherapies have evolved. The biologics that are now in the area have evolved. Um, so how this space is evolving and what we're doing for patients and how we integrate into that space as a, as a technology and a medical device is really the key to this. I'm wondering if, if any you had sort of preconceived notions about this particular disease or anything that surprised you when you started learning about it in more detail or... If there's things that still surprise you to this day about the, either the prevalence or the, uh, the breadth of the disease. I so. guess when I came in uh, to Surtex, we, we started doing some market research to really understand how our product was understood in the marketplace. And five years ago, I can tell you that over 50% of the medical oncologists that we spoke to had no idea what CERT was mm-hmm. or even these technologies and what they did for patients. Fast forward five years from now and... I don't think we can find many medical oncologists or surgical oncologists that don't understand what our product is or at least know what, it, what it's supposed to do. The bigger question now, we've gone from uh, the oncology community not knowing about us to the oncology community knowing about us. 
uh, and our technology as we develop our clinical studies is being more proven out. The question more has become, okay, now that I understand what you are, it's when do I use you? Right. So that's been a great evolution, and I think you'll see the next five years that you'll see it become, okay, now we understand the clinical data and we understand when to use you. Let's look for more areas and more opportunities to use these technologies and to integrate them. Really, don't we don't see ourselves as competition to radiation or competition to surgery or competition to chemotherapy. We see our technologies as being added to those that hopefully will allow patients to have a better quality of life and ultimately live longer. The question of when do I use you, now this is quite uh, specific, especially in the United States, correct? I mean, yes. you... Your current um, indication outside of the U.S., you can use it for any type of liver tumor, is that correct? Yes. But in the U.S., it is only for this particular uh, metastatic stage for colorectal cancer. Yes. Right now, right now, as you know, the clinical environment, the reimbursement environment is always challenging in these markets. So we are in the process of doing, uh, we've invested heavily as a company in, in clinical studies and clinical data in order to prove out, not only prove to the medical device community where we fit and how we fit, uh, but also to prove to the FDA and to the, to the payers out there also where they should, when and where they should be paying. As we know, this space is evolving more and more. Cancer care is becoming more and more expensive. Um, and from a reimbursement standpoint, the payers really want to know when and how they should pay for these technologies. So th with that, the investment that we've made in a company as a company, over $60 million in clinical trials. Mm -hmm. uh, we just reported on our first large clinical trial with Surflox, and we have another five major clinical trials that we reported on the next two to three years. Right. Now, the Surflux trial is the results that you released this spring. Yes. Uh, there was, uh, you didn't meet the primary endpoint, but I wanted right. to give you a chance to kind of talk through those results for a moment because you did re re meet the secondary endpoint. Sure. But let's talk about that because there was, there was quite a bit of press on, uh, on that. Yeah, ASCO was a very exciting time. We released our clinical data at ASCO. This was a trial that started in 2007, so seven to eight years later we were able to release, release the clinical data. And what was fun was to be in a room of four to 5,000 medical oncologists and on stage with two major medical device, I'll say, uh, clinical studies that were released at ASCO, really that I feel were sort of the beginning of proving to the medical oncology and the oncology community that, that these type technologies do have a space and they do have a play within. Um, so major randomized clinical level one evidence, two studies, the CLOCK study and then our study, the SURFLOCK study, came right behind it that really had, had interesting and intriguing information. And although we don't have the full information that the medical oncology community is look, looking for, the data is still quite young, but we feel very promising. And the feedback from ASCO and from our physicians was that it was very promising. Mm -hmm. You commented on missing the primary endpoint. Uh, this study was, was powered for progression-free survival and what we call overall progression-free survival. So not only tumor spreading in the liver, but tumor spreading anywhere in the body. So what the study showed was a failed primary endpoint, that we didn't stop tumors from spreading all in, all in the body, but what we did do is our secondary endpoint is what we call liver progression-free survival. We did, we did prevent livers from spreading in the tumor, from spreading in the liver by 7.9 months over standard chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. So what, what the conclusion for us is that, again, if 50% of these patients die from their liver tumors, ultimately we hope that by controlling livers in the tumor, or tumors in the liver, excuse me, that will prevent patients from dying. Now, 
This study is powered along with two other studies that will be coming out in the next two years, Foxfire and Foxfire Global. And with those three studies combined, there will be over 1,000 patients presented, the largest trial ever done in this with these types of technologies. Mm-hmm. And with that, that will be powered to prove that overall survival, that the patients do ultimately survive longer when treated with our product early with today's modern chemotherapies. Current rate of survival for a a patient that that would fit your profile, is it about, I think you said 24 months, is that correct? Yeah, the latest studies, and like I said, the chemotherapies are evolving, so they're bringing out more and more and more chemotherapies, so patients Mm -hmm. are being treated first line, now they consider second line, third line, even fourth line setting. Um, and in combinations in certain subsets of those patients, overall survival is anywhere between 24 and the most we've seen, I think, is 29 to 30 months uh, with subsets of those patients. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to try and, the ultimate goal is to try and get these patients to live longer with cancer uh, and a better quality of life. Yeah, I think that's that really is the goal with a lot of the technology, similar to what you've seen in the cardiovascular space over the last 20 years. You've seen new and new technologies come out, defibrillators, pacemakers, stents, drug-eluting stents, and they've been able to take patients from what was initially a death sentence to move that into more of a chronic disease state. And I really think that's one of the objectives also as we see cancer, is that patients are diagnosed we're able to treat them with different technologies, and again, whether it be chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, and now some of these minimally invasive technologies, and to have patients live longer and really live a better quality of life. So as new, new tumors develop, we're able to treat those tumors, and we're able to treat them with different technologies along the way. And so a patient along their cancer journey uh, will move this into more of a chronic disease state, and these patients will live a longer and longer life and, and really live a quality of life that is, that is better than mm-hmm. today. So, so, and that's the vision of the company, right? To to turn cancer into a chronic Absolutely. disease. Absolutely. That's different than, uh, I mean, I'm a layman, of course, but you're always hearing about, you know, cure for cancer and things yeah. like that. And, you know, it, it seems that the more I, I dig into this, it's more about finding it earlier and managing it uh, better. Uh, I tend to agree with that. I uh, don't want to be a naysayer. I would love to find a cure for, for all cancers, but cancer is such a diverse space. And every cancer is so completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and the genealogy and some of the studying that we're doing with the new biologics, we're learning so much more about cancer. But as we study it more and as we learn more, the technologies are being developed more and the subsets within cancer spaces. So, yes, I, I agree that we would love to cure our patients. And, and we do hope that if we can actually treat these liver tumors earlier, you know, in the Surflock study, we had a three times complete response rate versus the chemotherapy arm, and that was statistically significant, which shows that three times the number of patients actually had their, their disease eradicated mm-hmm. early on. Now, we'll follow those patients all, uh, throughout to make sure that their cancer does come back, does not come back, but in that sense, you know, there is a hopefulness that it, the earlier we treat, the more we diagnose early, and the earlier we treat, the, the better the patients will do. How do you, how are you making how are you making the, the world aware of the treatment? Well, again, I mean, it assumes when somebody comes in and they have the disease, they start learning as much as possible. But are you 
Absolutely. Reaching out to the patients? Sure. As well as there's the so much more out there than there was even five years ago. And the, the best way really is through the, through the clinical data and through the physician base. So really our efforts are continue to educate clinicians today with, within our label, of course, and, and within what the, the FDA allows us to do. Um, but, yes, it really is just it's education. It's education with patients. As you know, nowadays a patient is diagnosed, and the first thing they do is go online. So they, they want to read about it, and if they're, they're an older patient, sometimes it's their son or daughter that goes online. So the more information that's out there, um, the more information with physicians. Like I said, years ago, a medical oncologist, if you went to him and read something online about Yttrium 90 or CERT, uh, there was a good chance they didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Now at least they know what it is. Uh, they have questions, and they will look at it, and they will work with their multidisciplinary team to see if we are even an option. So that education continues. I will say that there is there's a long way to go amongst the the oncology community. Um, it's a it's a large base, and, and we are a small company, so right. we're really strategic in how we approach it. Strategic in uh, how we which physicians we speak to, and how we do, and 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 how we open up new treating centers. Um, but the idea is eventually sure that that CERT and Y90 becomes more of a mainstream procedure, and more of a technology that that's the awareness is out there, and then and again the understanding of when to use it and which patients will benefit best from our technology. And the the, I mean these are massive clinical trials you're running. Uh, the the sort of big thousand foot goal is yeah. to be able to treat other tumors or sure. cancers of the liver. Sure. Right. I mean, what, I mean, how many other cancers are there of the liver? Uh, you'll find eventually that, that the more we keep patients alive, uh, breast cancer is a great example, the more eventually tumors do end up in the liver, unfortunately. So it's great that we're keeping patients alive longer, mm-hmm. but then those cancers continue to spread to other areas, whether it be bone or brain or liver or lung. So, again, everybody's developing technologies to try and treat these cancers as they spread. Right now, we have three major clinical studies going on in hepatocellular carcinoma, HCC, which is primary liver cancer. Um, those, state, those trials, one just completed enrollment, and the other two are just about to complete enrollment. So after a few years, they will report on their data. So HCC is, is a large, growing cancer and, and large population. Um, so that, we will look to prove it out in HCC. There are many small phase one, phase two trials obviously going on in, in other primary cancers. But eventually, many of these cancers do get to the liver. And the question is, if we continue to keep the liver tumors at bay, mm-hmm. uh, we continue to treat the other tumors, say lung tumors with ablation or other technologies, and we treat the systemic disease with chemotherapy, can we keep these patients alive longer and healthier, and do they do better? I think the assumption is, for most of us, yes, but we do need the clinical data behind it to prove that out. Did you ever run a 1,000-patient clinical trial at Boston Scientific? <laughs> well, we actually did have large clinical trials yeah. of drug-eluting stents, as you know, but that was new to us back then as well. Yeah. Um, so in, in the GI space, no, we never did run anything <laughs> that big. Uh, in cardiology, we did, but running a cancer trial, the complexity and the challenges are amazing. Um, I see why the pharmaceutical companies have so much struggle with it. Um, but integrating a technology and a device into that is even harder. Yeah. It really is. Uh, it's a huge challenge for us. So a lot of credit to, to Certex and the investment we've made and the strides we've made so far. Uh, but there's a long way to go. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I can't even imagine what that's like in a sort of... Well, seven years. Daily. Seven years and 530 patients and right. uh, about $30 million. So that's, um, <laughs> you can imagine, and, and I forget how many countries, 30 to 40 countries involved as well. Yeah. So it was uh, it was a long road, uh, but there's the, the clinical team has done an amazing job, and, and there's a lot more to come. 
how do you keep that long view? I mean, you're you're a publicly traded company. You're, 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 you have an answer. You we have are publicly answer traded. In our, I mean, absolutely. Well, we've we've actually delivered phenomenal results um, mm-hmm. over the last five years. Like I said, this this market opportunity is so great. I think we estimate as a company we have less than two percent of the overall potential market globally. I know in the U.S. here we estimate that we're still single digits in terms of penetrating the market opportunity. So the opportunity within cancer itself is great. Um, we know that the pharmaceutical companies, it's over $100 billion in drugs right now, going to, I think, they estimate $150 billion in the next few years. So the market opportunity itself is great. I feel like we're really just scratching the surface here. You know, to deliver results, we have, I think, a 25% compounded annual growth rate over the last five years for the Americas division here has been great. But there's still so much opportunity in the space that, that we're very excited and motivated. And, and we really think by proving this out clinically and by con- continuing to build our commercial team, we'll continue to move the ball forward. And, and just to make sure I have this point correct, these are for other the, the cancers that you're looking at. The, it all does center around the liver, or are you looking at other parts of the body as well? So there have been some studies. Uh, in Australia, we do have a f- small phase one study going on to look to treat kidneys. Mm-hmm. So in renal cell carcinoma primary, they have looked at it there. They have discussed treating this in other organs for other solid tumors, including the lungs. Uh, we get calls all the time from researchers that really want to do a lot of research. That's what's sort of fun about this technology. We talked earlier about it being you know, 15, 20, 30 years old. But physicians still and researchers want to study this all the time. I get calls almost every single day of a new proposed animal trial or a phase one clinical trial and where researchers still want to research this technology. You know, it's been proven that radiation combined with chemotherapy is a pretty accepted technology out there and a pretty accepted way to treat patients. What we have with our technology is, is a unique way to get that radiation to a tumor. And we know that tumors respond to radiation most of the time and that we're able to kill tumors. So similar to a surgical-type technology where you can cut a tumor out or you can ablate a tumor, we look at us sort of in that same realm. And if there's unique ways, as you know, to access different areas of the body to image and access, the doctors are always looking for new ways to treat these tumors. Um, and ours is an exciting technology that we think can be adopted, you know, hopefully all over the body eventually. When you think about chemotherapy, though, that's a patient going into a center, receiving dosages, and then going home. Or yeah, this is a, a surgical procedure. It is so a procedure that is done in a hospital. It's done in an outpatient setting, okay. which is great. Um, so that's that's an advantage. But you're right that most tra- most patients and most colorectal cancer patients like to be treated in an infusion center in the community. So traveling to an institution or to a hospital is not always beneficial to them. That's part of the reason that we've opened up almost 400 sites here in the United States. So not only can you typically go to your community center to get your infusion where your physician is, hopefully you can go across the street and that hospital offers this technology and you can get the procedure on an outpatient basis. And so these microbeads, they... They live in the in the liver and, and they are actually the what's interesting is they are actually a permanent implant. A permanent implant. Yes, but the radioactivity is not. Right. So the radioactivity is is short; has a 64-hour half-life. So usually within 12 to 13 days, the radioactivity is gone. So the patients will go in. The microspheres are implanted into the tumor via the hepatic artery, and they irradiate the tumor over a period of time. And then they're so small, they're really not even imageable. They're so small. But then within a month to three months, the patient will come back for imaging, and you'll hopefully see that the tumors have shrunk. You know, one of the things that we always ask is, is was there something I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about? 
No, look, as I said, I think it's an exciting space. We see this interventional oncology space as growing and emerging. It, it is a fragmented space, so it is a bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are interesting technologies, whether ablative technologies, drug-eluting technologies, infusion technologies, and, and our technology, which is radioembolization. I see it as a four to $500 million market right now that's growing at a 20-plus percent rate. Um, but it is complex, and it's hard to understand. But we're excited about the future and becoming really this interventional oncology space that it's called, um, and that becoming a part, a bigger part, of the oncology world, which is typically medical oncology, surgical oncology, and radiation oncology. We feel that this interventional oncology procedures, which, again, are typically done now by interventional radiologists, although I have heard that Surgical oncologists and and radiation oncologists refer to themselves as interventional oncologists as well. But, again, being a part of the cancer care continuum, being able to add to that and create a better quality of life for patients, uh, it's a fascinating space. Similar to physicians, we have people who work in our industry from the industry standpoint who get into oncology who never leave oncology and who always want to be a part of oncology. The reward of helping these patients uh, it is an incredible feeling to all of us, and we love what we do. We love helping these patients, and we're excited, really excited about the future of not only this technology but this space and watching it grow and watching it become something, I think, in the next 10 to 20 years that will be a, a major part of, of oncology procedures and helping cancer patients. Do you get a lot of time to, to visit with the patients that have received treatment? Uh, we actually do. We work with advocacy groups. Uh, they just had a, a reunion that we were called to, I think, where there were six patients, six or seven patients that were 10 years out after treating with our product that are still alive. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, that, that group called us, and we're excited. And so we do work with oncology groups. We do work with patients. Uh, we do work with nurse navigators within the oncology world to understand our product, and it is the reward of seeing patients. Uh, there are specific advocacy groups that are actually dedicated to CERT and Y90 even out there uh, who are believers who are helping us to send the message that this technology really can work and really right. can help people survive. So that is very rewarding and exciting for us. Right. And I, I would imagine that the first step, though, is to become more aware of the colorectal cancer itself. Absolutely. Just continue to raise awareness, continue the, the education process, and whether, whether it's education of physicians, education of patients, of industry, of advocacy, advocacy groups, that's what we spend really. We, we don't see ourselves almost as a commercial sales company. It's almost an education-type company, right. uh, and that's what we continue to do. But the future is so exciting with five major clinical trials coming out, results in the next five years from us, and then other technologies being added to this. And, and really, the the evolution of the diagnostics and imaging part that it let us do more and more. Um, it's, it's a space that, that really is endless in terms of the opportunities. Right. So you said, you told me it's been kind of a quiet company, but you don't imagine that that will be uh, for much longer? So. Well, I, th- I think, you know, being an Australian traded company yeah. um, and being smaller here in the U.S., uh, five years ago I would say, yes, we were extremely under the radar, but now I would say that that. You know, Surtex is emerging and the technologies are emerging and, and there are only two players in this space in the world. Um, but with that, even though it's complex, I think people are seeing and the growth and the excitement and, and truly the results. And, and that's what drives the company. If we weren't having good results, we obviously wouldn't be growing the way we are. So, And the clinical results wouldn't be where they are. So that's, that's the exciting part of it. And for you, this is a journey you're going to... 
<laughs> See all the way through, right? It's it's been an interesting journey to say the least. It's been an interesting uh, almost six years now. Yeah. Um, the next six years really look probably just as bright, if not brighter. So, yeah, we're very excited about the the future prospects of Surtex. Excellent. Well, best of luck to you. Obviously, you're doing great work here and giving patients more time to be with their families and. And that's a terrific pursuit. That's, that's our ultimate mission, really, it is, is, is to treat patients and help them live longer. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today as well and to get our message out. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Brian. Thanks.